I have one request. I have a need, not an announcement, just a need. Tomorrow night after the service, I'll be leaving uh, Tuesday, Wednesday morning, start a meeting down in Chattanooga. But I need five or six men to help me carry this pulpit out to my car. I want to, <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. I have preached in a lot of pulpits, and I'm taking this baby with me. I like this pulpit. I, I can preach over here. I can preach over on the other side, and it's just the perfect desk up here. Uh, I, I understand somebody in the church made it. Uh, this is a great pulpit. You need to go into business. <laughs> I guarantee you. It is just perfect. Now, if I could just preach behind it, it'd be all right. Amen? Well, who said yes to that? <laughs> I have sure enjoyed being with you. I, I, I love this place, love your preacher and his family, and I have really grown to enjoy you. And uh, I love this area. Man, it, the, I don't know if you noticed it this morning, but the sun came out. Uh, there's a couple, I'm staying in a cabin up here in just beautiful place, and a uh, couple was sitting on the porch when I walked out early this morning, and I said hello to them, and they said, boy, isn't it nice? We're going to get the real kind of vitamin D today. So they were just soaking up the sunshine, and it was beautiful. I thought I better say that since I fussed about the rain so much. We'll just enjoy the sunshine. Thank you for being out tonight. Good to see you. I don't take for granted. I know you've been busy, and I know you've got a thousand things you could do. I know there's a lot of places you could be, and I'm grateful. I know you're here because you love the Lord, but I also want you to know that I don't take it for granted, and uh, I, I've asked the Lord to just really give us something tonight out of His Word. If you would, take your Bible and turn with me to Acts chapter 13, would you? Acts chapter 13. And I'm going to do things a little bit different. Normally when I preach, I I read the scripture and pray and then make my sermon. But tonight, I'm going to pray and then I want to look at a number of verses in this chapter and I'll make a few comments as we go and then we'll make our sermon. So let's pray and ask God to guide us tonight. Lord, I thank you so much for your blessings and thank you for the beautiful day that you gave us. Thank you for the privilege of being uh, at Pleasant Beach Baptist Church and for meeting these people. Lord, they've been a blessing to me. And I pray now, we're, we're here because we love you. We're here because we need you to speak into our lives and into our hearts. And I pray that you would just make your word obvious to us tonight. Holy Spirit, teach us. And then not only teach us, but challenge us to accept what we see as truth and, and, and put it in our lives uh, I pray that people would be encouraged and helped. So, Lord, we want to lift you up. We want you to be glorified, and we pray that that would be uh, what happens from this meeting tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to notice three men that are mentioned in three different verses, and then I believe uh, come together in a fourth verse. I want you to notice in verse 22. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. 
Now, obviously, we're talking about King David in that verse. And usually, when I'm reading that verse, the phrase that just stops me is when it says, a man after mine own heart. Now, I don't know about you. I'm sure you're like me. Uh, I'd love for it to be said that Mike Edwards had a heart for God and his heart was shaped to be like God's. But to be honest with you, that's not the phrase I want to draw attention to tonight. What I want you to notice is the last phrase of that verse, which shall fulfill all my will. Would to God it could be said of Mike Edwards, well, he, he may not have been known worldwide, but everything that God gave him to do, he finished, he got done. I'd be satisfied with my life if no one ever knew my name and if I never was a wealthy man, which both of those are sureties. But I'd be satisfied with my, my life if it could be said he accomplished what God gave him to do. And can I remind you of something we said about David yesterday, and that was he was a flawed man. He didn't do it all right in his life. As a matter of fact, he made some very large mistakes. He had some big sins in his life, and yet he got them right, and still it was able to be said of David that he accomplished all the will of God. And I don't care where we are in our lives, if we will meet God at the cross, and if we'll meet Him at His grace, we can get things right, and whatever things we have flubbed up in our lives, we still can complete what God wants us to do in our lives. Now I want you to notice the second man. Look at verse 25. And as John fulfilled his course, he said, Whom think ye that I am? I am not he. But behold, there cometh one after me, whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to loose. We're talking about John the Baptist in that verse. And for the second time, I see that word fulfilled. Here's the second time and the second man in this chapter that it is said of them, they fulfilled what God gave them to fulfill. They completed what God gave them to complete in their life. And can I remind you that the course that John the Baptist walked was no easy course. His was not an easy life. His was not a life of affluence or luxury. Most of his life he lived in the wilderness, dressed in clothes that you and I would not want to be dressed in, eating food that you and I would not want to eat. And by the way, even though he was loved by the common man, he was martyred by the king and the king's wicked wife. And the course of John ended with him losing his head and and yet it is said of that man, he fulfilled his course. There's a third man mentioned in this chapter. Look at verse 29. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, 
They took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher, but God raised him from the dead. No doubt about who we're talking there about, is it? We're talking about the Lord Jesus, and by the way, Sunday we celebrate he rose, he raised him from the dead. Now I want you to notice, for the third time we see that word fulfilled. Now I notice it says, and when they fulfilled all that was written of him. Now make no mistake about it, they did arrest him, and they did uh, scourge him, and they did crucify him. He did die on the cross, but make no mistake about it, though they did it, he allowed it. Jesus was not taken. Jesus allowed himself to be taken. And Jesus laid down his own life for you and I. And for a third time, we see that one fulfilled all that the Father had for them to do. Oh, would to God it could be said of us like it was David and John and Jesus. They fulfilled all that God had them to do. Now I want you to notice a third verse, fourth verse. I want you to look down in verse 36. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption, but he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Boy, I see our outline that we're going to listen to tonight in that verse. I want you to notice it says David served. I want you to notice David served his own generation. And I want you to notice third, he served his own generation by the will of God. Now listen, I don't think it does the, the scripture any damage to say that David served his generation by the will of God. John the Baptist served his generation by the will of God. And Jesus Christ served every generation by the will of God. And I want you to know tonight that we're not talking about these men in this chapter because they were kings. David was a king. Jesus is king of kings. But we're not in this chapter talking about them being kings. We're not in this chapter talking about them being great prophets, though John the Baptist was the final prophet of the Old Testament and the great forerunner of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. But he's not in this chapter because he was a great preacher or a great prophet. And by the way, even Jesus is not in this chapter because he was prophet and priest and king. Do you know why each of these men are listed in this chapter in this way? Because they were servants. I want you to get this connection. David fulfilled what God had him to do. You know how you fulfill what God has you to do? You make yourself God's servant and you say, yes, sir. John the Baptist fulfilled what God had him to do. You know how John fulfilled what God had him to do? He made himself a servant and fulfilled 
what his father had him to do. And Jesus, Jesus who is God, Jesus who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, Jesus who is creator God, Jesus said, Father, for the need of mankind and to fulfill redemption, I will make myself a servant to you and I will fulfill. You know what you and I are? People with our own will who need to make ourselves servants to fulfill what God has for our lives. I want you to notice three things tonight. Number one, they served. I want to draw special attention to that word served in verse 36. The Greek language is a rich language. There's a lot of words that God could have used there in the original language, and it could have been translated served. He could have used the word diakonos, which we get our word deacon from, because the deacon, by very definition and by truth, is a servant to the local church. He could have used the word doulos, Paul often called himself a bondservant, a doulos. And you and I understand that he was in binding himself to the Lord and serving the Lord. So he could have used diakonos, he could have used doulos, but he chose a very unusual word. The Holy Spirit, when he told Luke to write this, he said, Luke, I want you to use this word when you say that they served their own generation. I want you to use the word huperateo. Now, if you can say that word, you're better than me. Huperateo. You say, well, what's the significance about that? Listen, if you'd have been standing in a Roman market or a Greek market and somebody would have used the word huperateo, you'd have done this. You, what? What? Who's a huperateo? It is the lowest of the lowest of the lowest of servants. If you'll get your Strong's Concordance out and look it up, do you know what you'll find it means? It means an under rower. You say, well, preacher, what's that mean? Have you ever seen a picture of a Greek ship or a Roman ship? Usually they had high ends and maybe one mast, maybe two masts, and, and they could be powered by a sail if the wind was blowing. But if you were going into battle, you didn't want to have to be dependent on the wind. It might not be there that day. And so all along that ship was a set of windows, one window after another window after another window. And out of those windows were oars. If you were in the belly of that ship, you would have seen something. You'd have seen a platform, and on that platform would have been a drum. And there would have been a man at that drum who was uh, told how to beat the cadence. And those men who were under there and, and on those benches, shackled to those benches, their arms shackled to those oars, and their sole purpose in life 
was to row by the beat of that cadence and the master of the ship would determine, speed it up, speed it up, speed it up, speed it up. And their whole purpose was to pull those oars at the cadence of that drum and nobody cared if they lived and nobody cared if they died and if they died at the oar, they were unshackled, thrown overboard and another slave put in their spot. And that's the word that God says David was an under rower. That's the word in the same chapter that he alludes to John the Baptist and says John the Baptist was an under rower. And even in describing our Savior, he says he was an underroar. You know what we forget sometimes? We forget who we are. We forget who we are. I'm afraid the word that typifies our churches these days too often is not the word serve, but the word self. It's all about me. And those who fulfill the will of God put me aside and say others, others, others. I'm simply saying to you, that we have forgotten with all of our emphasis on positive thinking, self-esteem, self-affirmation, self-love, the realization of my rights. We have forgotten what the Lord said. Listen to it. Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them, but it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to give his life a ransom for many. We live entitled lives. We live lives seeking to be served instead of seeking to serve. It's a, it's a sin of our culture. We think we're entitled to things just because where we are, who we are, what we are. Our culture is that way. But sadly, I think it's slipping into the churches and, and honestly, we've come to the place where we think there's a serving class and a to-be-served class. When in truth, the church is nothing but a collection of servants who ought to be trying to win a very lost world to Jesus. I'll never forget, we had just gotten our first building as a church we had been in a high school where we started and uh, another church in town had 
gone and built a church, but they couldn't afford to, they couldn't sell their building. It was back in the 80s, and for those of us alive, there were, the interest rates were 21%. Nobody could borrow anything. And so they, they called us and said, hey, we've got an open building. Uh, can you buy it? Well, oh yeah, we, we're in a high school choir room. We, we, yeah, we got huge offerings. We can buy anything. Can you rent it? Nope, can't rent it either. Well, will you use it? Said, yep, we'll use it. And we got in there and long story short, it was dilapidated. It was torn, just almost close to falling down. We got in there and, and my wife and I, we had an assistant pastor who was, had just come on kind of part-time and and uh, we were just cleaning it up to make it presentable. I got a phone call and had to go up the front of the church and, and talk. And it was legitimately a problem. Had to fix the problem and talk to some folks and help them a little bit. And as I'm making my way back down to where we were painting this room, I hear this very young assistant say to my wife, I didn't go to four years of Bible college to paint walls. Now, he did not know who he was talking to. <laughs> he did not know he had tangled with the wrong gal. And, and I heard her say back to him, no, we got saved to do this. I thought, honey, that's good preaching. Who do we think we are? What do we think we're owed? Don't we understand that by the grace of God we were saved? By the skin of our teeth? Don't we understand that as Jesus came to serve, not to be ministered unto, that we also are to be like our example, we're to minister, we're to serve, not to look to be served. David understood that being the king brought not only the privilege of the office, but the responsibility of service. He understood the need to serve those in authority as he humbled himself and served Saul. How would you like to have your boss be Saul? You know, a guy who throws javelins at you, who hates you, who wants every opportunity to kill you and still you keep a sweet spirit serving him? He understood what it was to serve. He served the less fortunate by providing lame Mephibosheth a perpetual place at his table. He understood what it was to serve. In his older years, all that he wanted to do was build the tabernacle, build the temple for God. It's all he wanted to do. And he begged God, can I build the temple? And God said back to him, no. You've been a man of war and there's blood on your hands. No, you can't build the temple. And, and from a spirit that was just so angry because he didn't get his way, remember what David did? He quit on God, right? No. He said, well, if I can't build it, can I assemble the materials, God? Can I draw the plans? Can I show it to my son? Can I put that thing in his hands and, and, and God let him have the privilege of building it? And now thousands of years later, though David was the one who assembled it and David was the one who designed it, we call it Solomon's Temple. 
because he had a, a spirit that understood how to serve. It was okay. It's not David's temple, but God got the glory because he had a spirit that understood he was just an underdog. He was just an underdog. We get so stinking offended. We get so upset because it doesn't go our way or nobody applauds us. And you know what we forget? We forget we're just under rowers. Look to John the Baptist. He's the one that said, He must increase. I must decrease. You look to Jesus, you know what you see in Jesus? You see him taking a towel and a basin and washing the feet of who? Washing the feet of one who has already sold him for 30 pieces of silver and in less than three hours will betray him with a kiss. And then he moves down the line and he washes the feet of one who has said, though all forsake you, I will never forsake you. And by morning time, he has forsaken Jesus. And he moves on down the line to the apostle John who laid his head on his breast that evening and said, is it I? And they know him as the apostle of love, but like all other 11, he forsook him and fled, and Jesus washed his feet, knowing all of it. And we get offended, and we get angry, and we get hurt, and we fuss if it doesn't go just how we want it. And you know what we forget? <laughs> we forget we're just under rowers. Just under rowers. May God help us to have a revival of understanding that we are to serve. You look to our Lord you see him being nailed to a cross and dying for you and I. And may we ever remember that he emptied himself and took upon himself the form of a king. Is that what the Bible says? No. The form of a servant. I love parable of the Good Samaritan. A Jew, probably on his way to or from Jerusalem, is attacked by robbers. They beat him half to death, leave him in a ditch dying. And the Bible tells us that three men come down the road near where that Jew is laying in the ditch. The Bible says the first one down that road is a priest. That priest is probably either on his way to Jerusalem to do his duty in the temple 
or maybe he's returning to his home from having fulfilled his duty in the temple. If anybody should understand the compassion of Almighty God and that God would want him to be benevolent and help that man, it would be that priest, right? He knows the law of God. He knows the word of God. But the Bible says that before he got to the man, he crossed over onto the other side of the street, the road, and passed him by. Bible says a second man came down that road. This man the Bible describes as a Levite. <coughs> a Levite is a man who was charged with taking care of the word, knowing the word, teaching the word. Again, if anybody would understand the benevolent heart of God to reach out and help a man, it would be that Levite. The Bible says that the Levite came over to the side of the road to where the man was laying and looked down on the man. My mind's eye says he looked on him and, and thought somebody should do something. Here's a man bleeding and dying. Where's, where's the preacher? Where's the assistant? Where's Somebody ought to help this guy. And after looking on the guy, the man steps back and walks away. A third man comes down that road. The Bible says he is a Samaritan. If any of the three should have passed that man by, it was this Samaritan. Because Samaritans and Jews hated each other. Jews called Samaritans dogs. And yet the Bible says that man got down off of his donkey and went down into that ditch and took out of his saddlebags his resources and bound up the wounds of that man, picked him up, put him on his donkey, took him to the inn, and from his own funds paid for that man to stay at the inn so that he could recover. You know what I say after reading that? Here's what I say. Our churches and our nation and our world has all the priests and Levites it can stand. We have got churches filled with people that think that somebody ought to do something about it. What we need are some Samaritans who will get down off their donkeys and get into the ditch and serve somebody. We curse the darkness of this world and do nothing with it. Where I went to college, Bible college, there was a plaque, a stone monument outside of the class, one of the classroom buildings, and I went past it a thousand times. I read it a thousand times, and I always thought, well, it's a pretty neat saying. I don't know what it means, but it's a pretty neat saying. And boy, after 44 years of ministry, I understand it better today than ever before. It simply said this, enter to learn, go forth to serve. You know what we have? We have churches where people enter to learn and enter to learn and enter to learn and enter to learn. And we have Bible studies and we have prayer breakfasts and we have programs and we have seminars and we read books and we want to learn and we want to learn and we want to learn. We want to learn. You know what we're lacking? 
we're not serving a lost world. And our world is going to hell. And we keep coming in and learning more. And we keep coming in and patting ourselves on the back. And we keep coming in and doing our programs and helping ourselves feel good about ourselves. And the guy is dying in the ditch. Here's number two. By the way, they go quicker than number one. Number two. They served by the will of God. Did you know that the world has never been greatly impressed with anyone doing the will of God? (laughs) As a matter of fact, if you're waiting for someone to applaud you for doing the will of God, you're going to wait for a long time. If you thought, you know, you backed out yesterday morning of your driveway and, and your neighbors looked out and, Harold, they're... It's raining and they're going to church. And you backed out yesterday afternoon and they said, they're crazier than we thought. They're going again. And then they saw you go tonight and they'll probably call the authorities on you. And if they knew that you gave 10% in a tithe and that you gave offerings, they would think you were so far gone as just maybe just shoot them. They're not impressed with people who do the will of God. When David brought the ark into Jerusalem, the Bible says his wife, Michael, despised him in her heart because he was praising the Lord, dancing before the ark. The Pharisees thought uh, John was a fool because he had lived the life that he lived. Judas thought it was silly and wasteful for Jesus to be anointed with that expensive oil, but it was the will of God. Peter rebuked the Lord for saying he was going to suffer and die upon the cross, but it was the will of God. And what I say to you is let the world have its opinions and let other Christians have their opinion. If it's the will of God, find it and do it. Hey, the world scoffs at preaching the Bible, but it's still the will of God. The world howls at our desire to live lives of holiness, but it is still the will of God. The world hates confrontational soul winning, thinking that you have your Savior and He is the only way to heaven, but He is. And I'm not going to make excuses for the will of God to a lost world, but I am going to serve them by the will of God. Let me tell you what the problem is. You know what I love? I love preaching to you. I love coming in here and talking about the will of God. I love coming in here and preaching these messages like this. You know why? Because most of all you agree with me. And every once in a while you even smile at me. And every once in a while you even say, Amen. You know where it's tough to do the will of God? Out there. Where they don't want our message. They don't want our God. And they don't want us. I'll never forget. My wife and I were door knocking a community. It's been 20 years ago. 
we came to a door and it was hot summer and all the windows were open, the front door was open except for the screen door. And I knocked and a Vietnamese lady came to the door. And I, I handed her a tra- or tried to hand her a track, she didn't open the door. And I, I said to her, hey, Pastor Edwards is my wife, Nancy, we're visiting, la da da. We'd, we'd love to give you this track, do you go to church anywhere? And, and the famous answer came back, no English. So I did what we all do. I slowed down. I said, I'm Pastor Edwards, thinking if I slow down, she'll understand English. But she didn't understand English. And long story short, I I tried to give her the track. She wouldn't take the track. She wouldn't open the door. So finally, I just said, hey, have a great day. If we can ever serve you, Heritage Baptist Church. We turned and start walking down the sidewalk. And as we turn our back and we're walking down, I hear from from inside the house, Who was that? And I hear this lady say, Oh, it was just some church people. You ever have it start in the bottom of your toes? Work up into your calves and just want to come out. And I wanted to turn back around there and make her eat a track. And my wife saw me and saw me stop, and she said, hey, hey, they're offended at the Lord, not us. You know who we are? We're under rowers. Somebody might make fun of us, preacher. Hey, you're an under rower. Somebody not, they might not let me sit at the cool table. You're an under rower. I don't know, preacher. I'm kind of, you're an under rower. I'm an under rower. And I'm just telling you, we belong to God. And we are accepted in the beloved. And I don't need to be in anybody else's club. I just need to serve him in the way that he says I need to serve him. Let me give you one last thought. We must serve our generation. That word generation is an interesting word. It can refer to a time, a people, a nation. I just simply believe it means that we are to serve where we are and who God puts in front of us. Can I remind you of something tonight that I know you know? Boy, do we live in an unlovely generation. I don't get it. Can I just be very honest with you? It's repugnant to me to see a man who can't figure out if he's a man and then act like he's a woman. That's repugnant to me personally. And vice versa. Can I tell you, it just disgusts me It disgusts me when I live in a state that passes an abortion bill that says even if a a child is a live birth, you can set the child aside, make it comfortable, and let it die. And have your governor say it. It disgusts me that 
a live birth bill can be passed in the legislature of New York and the entire legislature stand up and applaud that you can now kill a baby that's been born alive. Can I be honest? Sometimes what I want to do is I want to go to West Virginia and I want to buy 300 acres in the deepest holler that that state has to offer. And I want to go to the edge of that holler and I want to build a wall high enough that nobody can get in it. I want to put my wife, my kids, my grandkids, and both of my friends behind that wall, shut that door, and tell the world, leave us alone. But I can't. Because I'm an underwriter. And as unlovely as this generation is, they're ours. They're ours. And God put us in this place for the purpose of reaching these people and telling them the truth about Jesus Christ. Because as gross as that man is who says he believes in abortion and even of a live birth, as much as I do not like that man, God loves him As much as I am sickened by that man who parades as a government official now and an assistant of the uh, Health and Human Services and looks as weird as anything I've ever seen and I can't stand to see him. God loves him. And but for the grace of God, such were some of us. So you know what we got to get over? Thinking we're high and haughty stuff. And we don't have to become them, but we have to try to reach them. Because we're under roars. I end with this. If I could draw a circle, five-mile circle around this building tonight, I'll guarantee you I could find some things. I'll guarantee you I could find a guy who got hurt, hurting, got hurt on the job. And the company didn't want him down too long, and so they sent him to a doctor, and, and it was understood the doctor was to get him through this, and so they started him on some pain medication. As long as he didn't pain medication, he was all right. He could even get back to work. But then, you know, the doctors run out and, and they can't keep giving that pain medication and they can't keep writing that prescription. And so they stopped writing that prescription. And what nobody told that guy is, hey, when we stop writing the prescription, you'll still need it. He's got a hole in his arm. Because he can no longer get the prescription, but he's in the back alleys trying to buy the synthetic form so he can pump it into his arm. And listen, we can sit back and say how wrong that is, and it is wrong. 
And we can sit back and say, he's weak. But I'll tell you this, nobody, nobody, nobody hates it worse than him. But it screams in his veins. And he wishes he had somebody he could talk to. And he wishes he knew somebody who had some kind of answer. He's been through every program. If he goes back to his employer, he'll get fired. He needs the job. He's got a family. He doesn't know where to turn. But I know who has the answer. They're the people of God sitting in this room tonight who can point him towards Jesus Christ and be a friend to him. I guarantee you in that five-mile circle, there's a little girl. He said he loved her. It was just that once. She went to the school nurse, but they sent her to Planned Parenthood. She doesn't know how to tell her daddy, and she doesn't know how to tell her mommy, and she wished she knew who to turn to and somebody that could help her and somebody that could help her family, but she doesn't know who to go to. She can't go back to the nurse. She doesn't know who to turn to, but I know who could help her. I could go on and on and on. There's young couples. They got married because they thought they loved each other. And they realized two years into it that that kind of love doesn't last. They don't know who to talk to and they don't know what the answer is. They wish they had somebody to talk to. And there's a church over there and they enter to learn and they enter to learn, and they enter to learn, and they enter to learn, but they don't go forth and serve. And we can't be with those kinds of people. And we don't want our kids exposed to that kind of family. And we have forgotten something. We're just under ours. I'm not asking you to go sit in the back alleys. I'm not asking you to go to dangerous people or put your kids with dangerous people. But I'm telling you this. You know people who need Jesus. And somehow we got to break out of this thing where we think church is where we're served. And we got to understand church is where we learn so that we can go forth and try to rescue some of the wrecked lives that live around us. You say, preacher, how? Be a servant to them. Be a servant to them. Care about them. Speak to him. Here's what I'm asking God to do, and then I'm done. God, will you please lay on the heart of every person in this room 
one name of somebody that they can purpose to be a friend and servant to with the purpose of telling them about Jesus Christ. I'm not asking you to go win the city. I'm not asking you to go do confrontational door-to-door soul winning. I hope you do, but I'm not asking you to do it. But I am asking you this. Just remember where God found you and how God found you and how good God has been to you and ask him, Lord, will you help me to be that in one person's life? Maybe somebody I already know. Maybe God has already laid somebody on your heart that lives on your street or you go to work with or you know their story. Hey, reach out to them. Our generation is a bleeding, dying man in the ditch and we go to church. Easter. There's never easier day to get a lost man through the doors. And the majority of believers in good churches will be more concerned about their granddaughter's dress than their neighbor's eternity. And I got seven grandkids, and they're beautiful. And I love Easter because I love seeing them in their pretty little clothes. But my word, my stars, people. Easter is not about eggs and bow ties on boys and dresses on little girls. It's about a risen Savior who can change the course of a life. And he wants to use you to be the conduit to reach that life. Just one. Just one. Would you pray with me?